morning. Great to be with you all today. Now, so this is a little bit of a pop quiz, so I'm going to make sure you were listening to Jason and Kenji. So next Sunday is our all-together worship service. So what time is church next week? Oh, that was so good. What time? All right. And how much does lunch cost? See, I, you know, where can you go on a Sunday and get a free lunch? It's going to be amazing. And the most important question, how many friends are you going to bring? A whole bunch, all right, there you go. We are going to have a whole bunch of people getting baptized next Sunday, celebrating their life in Jesus Christ. It's going to be amazing, and we're just looking forward to worshiping God together as one church family at one time, all together, and honestly, I can't wait. It's going to be the best sermon I've ever given in my life, all right? <laughs> I don't know, but, but I might even sing a song for you. No, I'm just kidding. If I did that, none of your friends would come back. But, but if I were to sing a song for you, the song I would sing, hands down, no question, would be Amazing Grace. Because Amazing Grace is so well known that I could sing it so poorly, you'd still know what I was singing, okay? Many of you may not know this, but it was actually written by a man by the name of John Newton. And it was written around 1772 in December. So that's like basically 250 years ago. And it has been basically performed by all different kinds of artists over time. Uh, people like Aretha Franklin has a version of Amazing Grace. So does uh, Elvis Presley did a version. So did Willie Nelson. Now, I'm not joking. Willie Nelson had a good version. Even the Grateful Dead uh, sang Amazing Grace. Uh, in, in the 60s, it was a top 40 hit. Uh, by Judy Collins, and Amazing Grace was sung and played with bagpipes at the funeral for Spock in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, okay? Uh, so, and by the way, for all of you Trekkies out there, that is hands down the best Star Trek movie of all time, The Wrath of Khan. I'm just, just stating that out there. But even if you don't like the original tune, you can actually hear Amazing Grace sung to a peaceful, easy feeling. And it's an old camp favorite if you do it to Gilligan's Island as well. So there's a lot of fun ways to do it. But today, even though most people are familiar with the words of this song that's been around for 250 years, very few people that you meet on the street can actually tell you what is it about grace that is so amazing. And so today in our Blueprint series, we're going to focus in on two very important verses in the New Testament book of Ephesians and take a look at Psalm 121 so that, Lord willing, we can walk out of here experiencing some of the amazing in God's grace together. And Psalm 121 is one of those amazing psalms in the Bible. It's a song 
And it's one of those songs that was written for those times in life where you're facing the mountains, you're facing the clouds, and it feels like an uphill climb. And it talks all about how God is watching over us and how we can rest in the assurance of his care. And so we're going to read it right now. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to pray in just a moment. By the way, if you're a guest with us, we always put the notes on the screen, the scripture verses. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you if you'd like to use those. We welcome you using your digital Bibles as well. Uh, when you walk in the front door, just before you come in, there's a little QR code if, in the future if you want to download the notes for the morning. And we also have questions if you want to talk about them as a family or with a group of friends uh, later on in the week. This is Psalm 121. And we're starting in the very first verse. It reads, a song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. You saying amen to that this morning? Did you notice a reoccurring phrase before we pray today? That the Lord is watching over us. Five times it is repeated in this psalm. That God is watching over us with his grace in our coming and going both now and forevermore. I say we pray and ask the Lord to help us to experience that on a deeper level today as his people. Would you pray with me? Father God, it's uh, fun to be together as your people and to worship you, and we're grateful. We're thankful for your living word that we're coming to you right now, and we do so as an act of worship, just asking you to move our minds and hearts and our lives. And we ask that we would understand your amazing grace just a little bit better as we walk out of here today, just strengthening our life in you and our knowledge of you and our serving of you. We love you, dear Jesus. We just pray your blessing over each one as we go to your word right now. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated. So Psalm 121 is this song in the Old Testament, this uh, psalm. And it was written by a pilgrim who is on their journey to Jerusalem. And they're most likely on their journey to Jerusalem to go to the temple, to do some sacrifices, and to worship God, to get to know the Lord better. And they know in this journey to Jerusalem, for wherever they're coming from, that there's going to be some trials and distresses along the way. And they're reaffirming their faith that God is watching over them and is going to take care of them. And maybe some of us today need to do the same. To reaffirm our faith that God is watching over us and that God cares about us. And may we know that God is watching over us with amazing grace as we are on our own journey uh, to our own Jerusalem uh, in our life, whatever that pilgrim's journey is for each of us. And may we know he's watching over us with his amazing grace even in the uncertainty. Because Psalm 121 begins like this. 
verse 1, a song of ascents. Basically, that means like we're, we're, we're going up the mountain. A song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And the psalmist is referring to this mountainous region where Jerusalem resided. And even though Jerusalem was a part of these mountains, these beautiful, amazing mountains, even though they were beautiful, they were anything but safe. In fact, they were a treacherous, they are a treacherous set of mountains. And back in ancient times, when people would go to Jerusalem traveling from very far away places, there were all kinds of bandits who had hideouts on the way to Jerusalem. And the psalmist, as they begin their journey toward the mountains, they say, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, the mountains don't scare me because the maker of the mountains is watching over me with his grace. And I would suspect on any day of the week that there are some folks in here today that have some mountains that we are facing. It may be health issues, maybe challenges with aging family members or parents. Maybe you have a child or someone else in your life that's going through some emotional challenges. You know, maybe you have something going on at work where the leadership landscape is in flux, things are changing, you're wondering how your role is going to be affected in all of that. It could be many things. Maybe it's simply finding purpose in your daily routine and the things that you do day in and day out. Mountains, uh, they come in all shapes and sizes, and each type of mountain has its own danger that it presents to us. And yet, as this psalm declares, if there's one reason we can trust that God is watching over us and that God is with us when we face the uncertainty of mountains in front of us, that one reason is God's grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says it this way, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Every follower of Jesus Christ is unconditionally accepted by God, Ephesians says. And it's not based on what we will do or what we have done. It is based on what Christ has done for us. And it's all gift. It's all grace. And so when you face a mountain, whether it's a self-made mountain because of a blunder that we maybe have had happen in life, or whether it's a world-made mountain because this world has been broken by sin, whatever it is, God is freely ready to give the fullness of his goodness to us, to give his love and his freedom and his power, even in the midst of failure, even in the midst of sin. God's grace is that big. Amen. Now, I uh, know some of you are enjoying a new sports season that's getting underway right now. It's called baseball. Yeah, I know there are some baseball fans out there. Spring training is in full swing, all right? All puns intended right there, okay? Now, I know that. Now, people have told me, I'm not an expert at baseball, but what I have been told by people is that the Dodgers are actually looking fairly good going into this season. Are we in agreement with this or not? I'm just curious out there. <laughs> There's varying opinions out there. I guess I talked to a true fan out there today. So. But still, even though baseball's you know, basically getting started here, I have a football story for you, all right? 
So one thing you got to know about me is I'm a one-trick pony. I, I just, there's not a lot. But if you have good baseball stories for me, send them to me. I'd love to have them. But the reality is I am a loyal Niner fan despite their playoff meltdown, all right? I mean, and it was a meltdown. Uh, but I, I actually have high hopes for, for, for next year. But one of the things I've learned in the short time of being at Encounter, and by the way, uh, today marks six months. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm praising the Lord for that. That's a significant number for us. And I'm looking forward to the years ahead. Amen. All by God's grace. But one of the things that I've learned in, in my short time here, and by the way, so if you're a guest with us today, I'm, I'm new with you. I'm learning everything with you. But I've learned that there actually are a significant number of Niner fans in this church family, which I'm a little bit shocked about. I wasn't expecting that uh, in, you know, when the Lord brought us here. And there are definitely a large number of Rams fans. Don't want to miss you out there as well. And then I've met some Bronco fans. I've also uh, met a number of cowboy fans uh, with the cowboys practicing in Oxnard. Uh, someone after the last service made sure that I knew that they were a Steeler fan, just to not leave them out. But one of the questions that I've never asked is how many Buffalo Bill fans are there in the room? I want you to raise your hand. I'm just curious. Any Buffalo Bill fans out there? Okay, I got one in the back, a quiet one over here. Last service, there was one who raised their hand and one who told me later, yeah, I'm a fan, but I didn't raise my hand. Now, here's what you got to know about Buffalo Bill fans. They are some of the most loyal fans on the face of the planet. Now, I'm a Niner fan, and even though I'm in this post-playoff meltdown, you can't even call it a game. I'm not sure what it was. At least I can say the Niners have won five Super Bowls in their history. But for the Buffalo Bills, they are a part of a group of 12 teams in the NFL that have never secured a, play, a Super Bowl victory in their entire history. They're actually part of two teams that have had the most playoff appearances without a victory, and they're the only team that once went to the Super Bowl four years in a row, but lost four times in a row. That is brutal. But there is this famous story about the Buffalo Bills kicker, and his name was Scott Norwood, and he was the field goal kicker in 1991 at the Super Bowl between the Buffalo Bills and the Giants. There were eight seconds left in, in the game for the Super Bowl, and Scott Norwood came up to do a field goal kick. It was a 47-yard field goal, and he kicked the ball, and it went wide right. And ever since that loss, that crucial you know, wide right kick, that phrase, wide right, has become synonymous of what happens when the field goal is kicked, and it goes uh, to the right of the field goal. And 20 years after Scott Norwood kicked that ball, lost the Super Bowl, eight seconds left, you know, this failure moment in his life as a kicker, he was asked in an interview how he felt in that moment 20 years later, and this is what he said, sorrow, I guess, and disappointment in letting down the teammates that are there on the field of battle with you. I get choked up thinking about it, putting myself back in that situation. Uh, my, my heart always goes out to the kickers because, man, you have to have some thick skin to be a kicker on a football team. I mean, you're in those crux moments. It's eight seconds left in the game. It's a Super Bowl victory or it's not a Super Bowl victory, and you kick the ball, and it goes wide right. 
But what Scott Norwood couldn't have anticipated was one week later when he was in Buffalo and there were 30,000 fans that showed up that day uh, with, with the Buffalo Bills. And he was behind the scenes waiting for his time to go on the stage. And all of a sudden, the crowd, 30,000 people, the week after the loss for the Super Bowl, they start yelling this, we want Scott. And it started getting louder and louder. We want Scott. And Norwood shared how when he started hearing that and started hearing his name, he just started shrinking behind the scenes, just thinking about how 30,000 people really, you know, were going to come after him. It just kept getting louder and louder. We want Scott. And as he became to the microphone on the stage, he quickly realized they were not cheering to condemn him. They were cheering to welcome him. And as he took the stage in the welcoming fanfare of 30,000 Buffalo fans after he lost the game a week before, this is what he said when he came on stage. I know that I have never felt more loved than I do right now. When you experience grace, you feel love. Especially when you come in expecting condemnation, as Scott Norwood did. I mean, rightly so, and yet you receive grace in its place. When we experience grace, we actually feel love. And what Scott Norwood experienced from 30,000 screaming fans is nothing in comparison to the significance of the grace that God offers us through Jesus Christ. And one of the cool things is that God's grace, because of it, he is our greatest fan. Do you realize that? He is. In fact, we don't even have to face uncertain times with uncertain feelings and wonder how God sees us. We don't have to wonder if God is going to be there to help us. And just as Christ offers grace to the least, the last, the lost, and the lonely, that is to you and to me, because he loves us so God as we experience his grace, wants us to offer grace, not only to ourselves, but to people around us. Because grace is God's amazing goodness, freely giving to undeserving people. God's amazing goodness, freely given to undeserving people. Where being saved by grace means that we've been justified and sanctified, and one day we will be glorified. And it is all by grace. It's all by grace. It is sheer grace. Meaning that when someone, through repentance and faith, places their life in the palm of Jesus Christ's hand, in that moment we are justified, we are made right, we are made righteous before God, and it is all by grace. And then as we begin to grow in our relationship with God, the Bible has this really cool word for it, it's called sanctification. As we grow, that is by grace. It's actually not about you as you grow in your faith. It is actually all by grace. And then one day when we get to heaven and we get these new heavenly bodies because we've gone home to be with the Lord or Jesus Christ comes back again, it will all be by grace. Our entire salvation process, our entire salvation journey is by grace. 
It's why I love what the Apostle Paul says earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. All of salvation is by grace. In the moment that someone places the weight of their life, the weight of their sin and their brokenness onto the cross of Jesus Christ by embracing him as their savior, in that moment, we go from being spiritually dead to God because of our sin to being fully alive, 100% accepted by him. And instead of being dead, we are unconditionally accepted. When God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen, yeah, 100% of the time, not sometimes, not only on Sunday morning when you're at church, but 100% of the time he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so when we face uncertainty in life, we don't have to have uncertainty about God's love or the freedom that Christ wants us to walk in in the obedience he blesses us with or in the power that the Holy Spirit wants to give us. God's help is there for us. Uh, I, I love Oswald Chambers. He has this quote where he says this, We are uncertain of the next step, but we are certain of God. And by grace, we have been adopted in love by the Father. And that means when the Father sees us as sons and daughters, He sees us like He sees the Son, Jesus Christ. Not only that, we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ through the cross. And because of that redemption, we have freedom to follow him in obedient joy, where obedience becomes not a burden, but a joy because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, even in the face of mountains in front of us, even sometimes when obedience feels like a mountain at first. And not only that, by grace, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And back in ancient times, they would seal documents with hot wax in ancient Ephesus when this was written. Other times, they would brand or seal cattle, slaves, and even servants sometimes with a hot iron to show that they were sealed as a place of ownership. And even soldiers had tattoos on their arms to show that they were sealed or owned by the emperor. But we, as children of God, we are sealed by the very presence of the Holy Spirit. And with his presence comes his power. His power. And then even in the face of uncertainty, even in the face of mountains, and because of all that truckload of God's goodness, we can rest in this next promise of Psalm 121. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it is a great promise. Are you ready for it? Verse 3, Psalm 121, it's a promise for all of us today. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. God made a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, you know, all the time commitment to take care of us. And it's a grace-filled promise to watch over you with his love. And so here's the truth. The mountains we face in life, they cannot be avoided. The rugged terrain, the danger within, but we can face the mountains, the uncertainties of life with the assurance that our help comes from the Lord. Our help comes from the Lord. Psalm 121 also tells us that God is watching over us with his amazing grace, even in the heat, even in the fire. 
Verse 5 says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day. There's nothing better on a hot day than feeling the shade when you're outside somewhere. You ever had that happen? It's super hot outside. All of a sudden you find some shade and you just instantly feel better. I remember two summers ago, we were dropping off my daughter Katie at Westmont College for the very first time. I have twins if you don't know me. She's my firstborn by a minute, all right? But it was a, an emotionally hot moment for us as mom and dad. And it was also a physically hot day in August in Santa Barbara. And we were living in Northern California at the time. And the dorm room that they put Katie in for her first year of college was on the fourth floor of this dormitory. It was a four-story four building. There was no elevator, no AC, and Amy and Katie were in the dorm room getting everything set up because it was like just on the edge of COVID, so you're only allowed two hours as parents to be on campus. This is traumatic, all right? But they're in there decorating their room, and I only had one job because I'm not a decorator, and that was to be the pack mule and carry everything from the car up four flights of stairs to the fourth floor and drop things off as she and Amy were decorating. And I remember after, I don't know how many times I had carried, we, our, our car was stuffed, all right? And I, mean, I was tired. And one of the times when I went outside to get another load, I noticed this tree over in the side of the parking lot. And there was just this little bit of shade. And I went over there and I just stood in the shade. It felt so good. This is a weird thing though. It really wasn't any cooler outside. But the shade made it bearable. And that's how God's grace works sometimes. And as I was sitting there under the shade of that tree, I started contemplating and thinking about who in their right mind builds a four-story dorm room (laughs) without an elevator and without AC and puts my daughter on the top floor. By the way, The weather here in Ventura is not like you all promised me. (laughs) My first week here, it was a heat wave for seven days. I don't know if you remember that in September, end of August. Then it's been rain, 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 rain. And now snow, hail, snow on the mountains, snow on the beach. I mean, it's crazy. Freezing temperatures at night. My son Josh is camping with our youth group you know, last night. I, I mean, he's going to be like an ice school when he gets home today. So I, I'm just waiting for next week. I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be cool. But what God is telling us in Psalm 121 is that sure, you know, sometimes in life we're bothered by the uncertainty of the future. But sometimes life is hot right now, right here. And the heat can wilt our hearts. So verse 5 again, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. And your right hand in the Bible is this place of honor and authority. And God's grace becomes comfortable shade, protective shade. And this is the powerful thing. Earlier in Ephesians, we were told that when Jesus ascended to heaven, God placed him at his right hand in a place of honor and authority as the head of the church. And now we're reading that God actually has him at our right hand. What? Wow, there's grace in that. God is at your right hand today, covering you with his amazing grace, even in the heat. 
And God doesn't always take us out of the heat, but he'll provide the shelter to help us bear the heat in the journey. And his grace is our help right now. And by God's grace, he uses us for glorious, glorious purposes. Even when we're in the heat, even when we're facing the fire, even when we're having to climb the mountain. And this is the reason, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And one of the beautiful things that the Bible is declaring is that we are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. I'll say that again, because understanding the difference between these two things, the difference between freedom and your obedience with Jesus Christ and burden when it comes to the obedience of following God. Because we have not been saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works as we follow Jesus Christ. And one way frees you to grow and serve, and the other way is all burden and every little failure in life. And it's actually what separates a life with Christ from every other claimed religion in the world. Because every other religion in the world, if you dig down deep enough, will say you have to do these things to be saved or to feel close to God. But Jesus Christ came and he said, no, I have done it all for you. It is done on the cross for you. Now, I was thinking about Peter recently this week and what it, what it meant for him to be a masterpiece of grace. I mean, think about what we know about Peter. Because when I look at Peter in the Bible and the things we know about his life and his occupation, I mean, at best, he was a mediocre fisherman, okay? Because every time he goes fishing in the Bible, he gets skunked, all right, apart from a miracle of God. But I'm thinking if Peter really wanted to, if he really wanted to, he could have practiced really hard, and if he practiced really hard, he could have been one of the top four fishermen in the Sea of Galilee. But really, what we know about him is every time he goes fishing, he gets skunked apart from a miracle of God. But as Christ refined him in the fire and the love of his grace, Peter found out what he was really created for, that he was created to be a fisher of men and women to reach their hearts for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God refined that in the fire of Peter's life, even in his failure even in his denial of the Lord. It was something that Peter couldn't manipulate, coerce, or talent his way into. It was up to God. And God's grace held him into it as God watched over him, even in the heat of his failure and denial. It's why in the book of Acts, the Bible says this, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great what? What does it say? Great grace was upon them all. Now, we we think about these amazing apostles, and and they were amazing, but as they're telling the resurrection story of Jesus, the reason things are happening was because of the great grace of God, amazing grace. Uh, Author Philip Yancey wrote this. He asks, Is it absurd to believe that one human being, a tiny dot on a tiny planet, can make a difference in the history of the universe? It's not. In fact, that's exactly how God designed his kingdom. He heals and matures people in order to bring his grace to others who are broken. He uses their gifts, passions, and healing heart to reveal the glory of Jesus. You may feel like you are in the heat right now. You may feel like you are in the fire. God is watching over you. God is with you. 
He is watching over you with his amazing grace, even in the heat. And it's often in the fire that we are learning the goodness of the love of the Father on a whole new way. And it is often in the fire, in the heat, that we are learning what it means to be immersed in following Jesus in obedience and experiencing true freedom in life. And it is actually often in the heat, in the fire, that we are willing to risk trusting the power of the Holy Spirit to face the mountains that are in front of us. And finally, God tells us that he's watching over us with his amazing grace, even in the darkness, verse 6. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Now, I want you to know that the Bible is speaking, you know, poetically here, symbolically. We don't actually have to be afraid of the moon, okay? But he is referring to how there's this darkness when we have fear and when we feel alone and there's pain. There's a, there's a shadow that comes over us often, the darkness we experience when we're at the doctor and they say that word, cancer, or a spouse uses that word, divorce, or you're walking through life with your child and all of a sudden you realize they're facing addiction, or whatever it may be, maybe it's when someone close to you dies, or you fight a losing battle with sin. All of those things are shadows. They cause fear and they cause regret and they cause panic. And it's in these times that God's grace watches over us so we may experience his love in the midst of them. In the book of Romans, Paul said this, Who shall separate us, Romans 8, 35, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, the pilgrim who is singing Psalm 121 as he climbs the mountains on the way to Jerusalem is walking with the assurance that even in the darkest hours of their life, that, that God would be watching over them, guiding them with his, with his love secured by grace. You know, I, I shared that story earlier of Scott Norwood. Eight seconds left in the Super Bowl against the Giants. He comes up. His kick decides the game. And he misses. Goes wide right. The game is over. Now, it's one thing to miss a kick in a football game. It's another thing when we miss the mark before a holy God with the life he's given us. And yet it's in those moments that we realize how much God loves us how he sent his son on the greatest rescue mission ever accomplished on the face of the planet in sending Jesus from heaven to this earth all the way to the cross, into the grave, and out again to invite us into a life with him so that we could have a life that's dominated by love, freedom, and power through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that you would never have to feel hopeless or alone or unloved in your darkest moments again, that you would know that he is actually Right now, even in the darkness of the shadows, he is at your right side today. He is there with his amazing grace. And when we come to this place in life where we actually do realize that we're more broken and more sinful than we'd ever dare believe before a holy God, and it is true, I know it every day about my life, and yet we realize we are more loved and more accepted than we could ever dare hope because of his gift of amazing grace, we are loved beyond comprehension. 
know, John Newton, who 250 years ago basically wrote Amazing Grace, many people don't know this about him, but he actually was a part of the slave trade. He basically led a slave ship that brought slaves from Africa to the Americas, one load after another. And later, he would actually come out against slavery, and yet he had already been part of this horrific, horrific thing, this human trafficking of people, and he'd committed grave sins against God and against all kinds of people. But he gave the darkness of his story over to the light of God's grace and to the light of Christ. And it moved him to write this song, Amazing Grace. It was actually years after retiring from the slave trade that he wrote a pamphlet. And it was titled, Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade. And in that, in that pamphlet, he described the horrific conditions that slaves endured on the ships as they were transported from Africa to the Americas. And in there, he apologized for a confession, which he stated in the pamphlet came much, much too late, with a great sense of humiliation. And he wrote, I, have an, I was an active instrument at which his heart now shudders, this activity he now shudders about. You know, modern historians have tried to number what happened in the slave industry back then. It's estimated that somewhere be around 12 and a half million people were transported as slaves from Africa to the Americas during that period of time. Transported in wretched conditions across the Atlantic, mortality rates were high, young women and girls were often raped by the crew. It's considered that probably around 15% of the people who were transported died en route. And John Newton knew that he had been a part of that. And after coming to Christ, he actually became an ally of William Wilberforce, who was the person who led the way in the English parliament to abolish sl the slave trade in England. And John Newton would actually live long enough to see that happen in 1807, just three months before he passed away. And knowing all of those things, and then coming to Jesus Christ as Savior, led him to write those famous, famous words that we sing in that song, Amazing Grace. And maybe today, God is wanting us to sing a new song because he is watching over us and he is there for us with his amazing grace, even in the uncertainty, even in the heat, the fire, and even in the shadows, even in the darkness. May the Lord watch over you're coming and you're going now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that when we stare at your grace through your Son, Jesus Christ, that the depth of it is so immeasurable. Sometimes it only feels like we're scratching the surface. And yet even in scratching the surface, we just thank you for your love and your freedom and your power that you want to wash over us today. And Lord, we just come to you in, in the face of uncertain times and in the face of the heat of life and 
the shadows that we sometimes face. And we just ask you to open our eyes and our hearts to your love that is poured out by your grace today. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room who's looking at their failure and never brought it to you as their Savior, may you just let them know they can bring it to you right now. Lord, we thank you that we can confess our sin and embrace you as Savior in any moment and that you come in and make us new. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for your grace today. Thank you that our chains are gone. Amen.